in the book of Ephesians. We're looking at chapter 1, uh, verses, uh, really looking at, ver I'm going to go back to verse 5. We're going to look at verses 5 through uh, 14, and so give you just a second to turn there. Um, you're going to see I'm going to be looking down a good bit. I'm looking down at your comments to see if you have any questions or concerns or thoughts. And so once again, just want to encourage you that as we walk through the book of Ephesians tonight, these, these nine uh, verses, uh, that if you have a question to bring it up or if you just have um, a comment to make, maybe it's something that, uh, that you have come into contact with through the, the passage and you just want to share your thoughts about it, then we really want to encourage you to communicate through the comment section uh, there so that this is not just you watching me, but it's us interacting with one another and with God's word. And so it looks like we're about ready to start. And, um, and I just want to reread 4 and 5, and then I want to take a few minutes on verse 6. I, I believe maybe one of, uh, one of the verses that for some reason in Christianity, it, throughout our different denominations, it's like we, we look for things um, that we try to almost manufacture differences um, in. I don't know if that makes sense. To you. What I mean by that, it, it's almost like we're looking for differences so that we can say we don't believe like they believe in this. And when I say them and us, I'm talking about any denomination and, and pretty much Christianity within America and even as it came to America. And, and so we seem to want to fight about things that maybe there's not really anything there to fight about. And that just by the way we use our words and the semantics we use and the way we phrase things, um, that we almost create division uh, where there really is no division. And so I just want to uh, encourage you that when we look at verse 6, it's such a beautiful passage, and yet it's been used by, uh, by different denominations and different persuasions to almost be a, a point of how we differ from one another uh, when the truth is there's nothing there for us to, to differ about, to, to disagree about. And, and so just a reminder of where we're at, um, verse 4, uh, we start with, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And so I want to take just a second because um, I've got volume on, on my iPad as well as through my mic. And I'm hearing myself on, um, on Facebook Live. All right, now maybe I can think and walk and chew gum at the same time. So here's where I really want you to, to see. If you'll look at this passage, you don't have to be a Greek scholar. Uh, you don't have to be a scholar of Paul or Pauline theology. But if you just take a moment and if you look through, starting in, in verse 4, go all the way through uh, verse 14, how many times that the phrase in him or in Christ, you'll see these just throughout. So just take a second and look through this passage. And we need to notice how many times that this passage refers to the source or the how of our justification, of our redemption, of our understanding. Um, how many times the reference to in him, in Christ, through the blood, um, if you'll just take a second look at that, it's obvious that this passage is, is pointing to Christ as the author of, um, as the um, provision for 
our salvation, uh, that, that including justification, uh, redemption. Um, the process continues in sanctification. At the end, we'll see the Holy Spirit beginning uh, the work in us. Um, and so just if you look at this, it's beautiful because what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus is uh, all that we are is in Christ. And the salvation that we have is in Christ alone. And so if you've been saved, you, it wasn't something you did. It was something Christ did. It was done in him. It was done through him. It was done in his blood. And so we just see this repeated over and over throughout uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, but specifically in the section we're looking at tonight, uh, verses 5 through, through 14. And so just notice this. What Ephesians is talking about in chapter 1 is Christ is the source of our salvation. Christ is the source uh, of our even coming to the knowledge that we need to be saved. Um, and then notice this. If you'll also look at the passage, again, you don't have to be a Greek scholar. If you look at the passage, you'll see that he talks about that all of this is done through him, but it's all done according to his purpose. And so throughout three times, literally, it says, all of this is done according to his purpose, according to his purpose. And once it says according to the counsel of his will, and then in one spot at the very end, kind of, in fact, this passage will close, done to the praise of his glory. And so we see that the source of how salvation and, and justification and all that's encapsulated in that, that Jesus Christ is the source of all that in our lives. And so the only thing we attribute to um, our state is the sinfulness of our state. It, it's Christ who saves us, right, through his blood. It, it's God through his will that we've been saved. And, and so that there's nothing divisive about that. Uh, we, we can't save ourselves. We can't save others. Uh, it's the gospel that has the power to save through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is just making sure that the, the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians are aware of um, Jesus Christ is the source of salvation uh, through and because of the will of God, according to God's purpose, according to God's plan, according to the counsel of his will, and so that praise may be brought to his glory, to the praise of his glory. And so uh, just take a second and look at that because... Um, Maybe that will give us insight to be able to look at this passage and to, to, to be better um, able to say, um, yeah, I've been chosen even before the foundations of the world in Christ Jesus according to the will of God our Father. And so he receives all the glory and he receives all the honor and he receives all the credit um, due to his name for my salvation. And so there's nothing that I can do uh, to to bring about uh, any good part of the salvific work in my life. All of that is done by Christ. And so uh, I just wanted to point that out because I think if we're not careful, uh, we come from so many different persuasions, and we use uh, certain passages of Scripture on all sides of every issue uh, to be di uh, divisive when really there's nothing to be divided about in Ephesians chapter 1. And, uh, and so I told you I wanted to focus and really I wanted to spend a few minutes on verse 6. So let me just, um, in love he predestined us uh, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ 
according to the purpose of his will. And then this is what verse 6 says. I want to spend a little bit of time there. Uh, verse 5 again, uh, just to make sure so we can wrap it up and move to 6. That the very fact that we have been saved is evidence of and a demonstration of the love of God. And so the, the question is, uh, sometimes people ask me things like, so do you believe anyone really deserves to go to hell? Do you believe God would, would allow people to go to hell? you really believe people deserve that? And, and the answer is biblically, yes, I do. In fact, I believe all of us are deserving of hell. I believe all of us are deserving of separation from God based on the sinfulness and the unrighteousness in our life. Things that we have willingly chosen to, chosen to do in our life that goes against the very nature and character of who God is. And so maybe the question we should be asking is not would God allow people to go to hell, but the question really should be this. Why does God allow anybody to go to heaven? I mean, when we look at our sinfulness in light of the, the glory and in light of the perfection and the righteousness of our God, why would he allow any of us into his presence? And the answer is, grace All right it's the grace of god and it's demonstrated beautifully in the fact that any of us would be chosen for the foundation of the world in christ jesus to the glory of his purpose that we might be called to be the adopted sons and daughters of god that that's what blows my mind it's not uh, whether any of us are are too are good enough that we shouldn't go to hell the answer is, how could any of us, or how are any of us deserving of heaven? How are any of us deserving of eternity in the presence of God, and in the glory of God? And the answer to that is the grace of God. And, and so our perspective needs to change in the way we look at some of these questions um, that, that people ask that are deserving of answers. I believe these are, are great questions, and I believe they're questions we need to be able to answer. Uh, but but here's the, the truth. Um, not one of us is deserving or worthy of eternity in the presence of God. Not because of what somebody did before us. Not because of decisions people made prior to us. But because of decisions we've made ourselves. Because of our own sinfulness and our own unrighteousness. We, we have um, disqualified ourselves. And, and yet God qualifies us through Jesus Christ. As adopted sons and daughters, the inheritance of eternal life with him. And, and that's all based on the grace of God. And it's all done through the, the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And so, um, so verse 5, he loves us. What's the evidence of his love? He's predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Why? Because it's his good pleasure and his good will that through his grace he might save us. Now, verse 6 is, is, is just, I think, one of the um, uh, most profound verses. And sometimes the mis misunderstood, misapplied, or maybe just read over verses in Scripture. And verse 6 just says this, and of course I'm reading out the, the English Standard Version um, whatever copy of God's word you have, you follow along. Uh, but, but my version reads this way. The translation I'm reading, verse 6, says, To the praise of his glorious grace. All right, just let's walk through it. Let's unpack it. 
to the praise of his glorious grace. So Paul's praising God um, for being adopted, being an adopted son or daughter through Jesus Christ according to the grace of God. And now he says uh, to the praise of his glorious grace. So we, we, we praise the very um, glorious grace of our God which is demonstrated through um, salvation, justification. He goes on and says, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, says something interesting about verse 6. Like Charles Spurgeon says, he says, Grace becomes a platform upon which all the perfections of deity uh, exhibit themselves. So that's the first half of what he says. So Spurgeon says, Grace is the very platform where God demonstrates all of his perfections. Uh, the perfections of deity, the perfections of who God is. So, so the very love of God, which is perfect, is demonstrated on the platform of God's grace. So, so kind of think about that for a second. So grace is the platform by which all of the attributes, the perfect attributes of God, of deity, uh, is best demonstrated or where they exhibit themselves. Uh, so the very love of God, the, the righteousness of God, so the righteousness of God is best demonstrated on the platform of God's grace, right? So the reason that Jesus Christ had to come and die for us is because we serve a righteous God, but we're unrighteous people. And, and so how do, you, how do you bridge the gap between a righteous God and an unrighteous people? And that is through Jesus Christ. And so in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is demonstrated on the foundation of grace. Now, Spurgeon doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop and say that in this, in this one verse, in verse 6, responding to, this, uh, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved um, in Christ, he goes further and he says, not only are the perfections of, of God's deity um, kind of uh, not only do they exhibit themselves in grace, but then he says, um, and grace becomes a light which shines on all the rest. Uh, so, so grace shines a light onto the perfections of God, the perfections of the deity, the perfections of the Trinity, the perfections of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So through grace, it, grace is like a, a spotlight uh, that points us to and shows us the perfections of God. And so if you've experienced the grace of God, if you've been called out of sinfulness and out of the world into righteousness and adoption as sons and daughters of God, then you've experienced the grace of God. And it's the grace of God that shines a spotlight onto the very perfections of God. Now, Spurgeon goes on and he says, uh, albeit, something to this effect, um, that, um, that these attributes of God, the, these characteristics of God, these perfections of God, even though grace shines a light on it, he says, albeit uh, that in and of themselves, uh, they have enough light of them own. They shine brilliantly and they have their own brightness and so we don't necessarily have to experience the grace of God to see the attributes of God. We can, we can see the beauty of God and we can see the love of God and, and we can see uh, the, the uh, creativity of God as we look 
at nature and his creation. Um, and so grace is the foundation which God demonstrates himself to us. Now, this is Spurgeon uh, talking about verse 6. And so now I'm having to, like, break down Spurgeon. Um, but he says this, each of these, each of these attributes of God have a light of their own. And so God's perfections and God's character, they don't really need grace uh, to shine a spotlight on them for people to notice. But what Spurgeon says is that grace uh, seems to make the attributes and perfections of God doubly bright in its brilliance and that they glow doubly bright in their brilliance. Uh, again, this is Charles Spurgeon. And what Spurgeon is saying is that uh, through the grace of God, we begin to see God uh, in a new light. And it's the grace of God that allows us to see what's already true of God. And that is the perfections of the deity of God. And, and so as Paul is writing to the Ephesians here in Ephesians chapter one, he's writing. And, and first of all, uh, in this passage, he's saying, as we've already talked about, He's saying, again, look at the passage, and you'll see the, the numerous times it says in him. I think, in fact, nine different times in this passage, you'll find a phrase that is either in him or in Christ or through, through his blood. Uh, and so this passage is saying the how of our salvation, how we become saved, and, and how that works itself out, that all of that is done in Christ and in the will of God the Father. So it's in him and through the will of the Father. And, and this is demonstrated through his grace. And, and then Paul says, uh, to the praise of his glorious grace. And, and so that's what Spurgeon is talking about here is the glorious grace of God. And I wonder uh, how often, it's not, I'm not suggesting that we are uh, nonchalant with the grace of God. I'm not, I'm not saying that we... Um, aren't excited or that we don't focus or really concentrate and think of the grace of God. Uh, but what Paul's writing here is that God's grace is this beautiful and glorious thing. And that if you've experienced salvation, then you've experienced the very grace of God. And that should never grow old. That, that should never become dull. That the grace of God is a glorious grace. A beautiful grace, and as we see God's character demonstrated through his grace to us, uh, then the result of that should be glory and praise and honor to his name. So verse 7 then begins again with one of those in him statements. And so in him, that's the how. Uh, according to his purpose, that is the why. And so as we look at the passage, as we come across this, there's a whole lot of explanation that Paul has given to the church at Ephesus concerning uh, the uh, grace uh, and the glory of God, the will of God. And, and so all of this passage is pulling together that salvation comes about through Christ, that salvation is because of the will of God, and, uh, and so that's what this passage is, is really pulling together different aspects of that. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood. I, just, I don't want to spend a, a whole lot of time here because I want us to continue to move. But uh, when I read these passages, um, it, it kind of harkens back to 
um, the Old Testament pointing us toward Christ and, and the very sacrificial system. And this, this um, many of you know this and, and have been taught this and, and of course have heard this. Um, but what it is we're saved from, we're saved from ourselves because we don't meet the very standard of God. Uh, now, what, what is a, an, a human example of the standard of God? In the Old Testament, that's exemplified in the Ten Commandments. And so we have the Ark of the Covenant, and within it we have the Ten Commandments of God. They're placed in um, the tabernacle, uh, ultimately going to be placed in the temple, in the most holy of places. And uh, there are four cherubim looking down over the, the, the law of God that are within the, the Ark of the Covenant. And, and there was a picture uh, in the Old Testament that God would sit upon the cherubim uh, overlooking the law. And, and so it was basically a picture of um, us going before a judge, presenting ourselves to God as, as judge, and the standard by which we're going to be judged is the, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, of which we fall short. And, and so what had to happen was they would bring a sacrifice in. Uh, that It had to be the perfect sacrifice, this, this uh, lamb without blemish or spot. And what they would do is they would take this unblemished lamb, right? All of this pointing to Christ. Now, make sure that, that God doesn't delight in the blood of lambs or bulls or other sacrifices. It wasn't that God delighted in that. This was a picture of what was to come in Christ Jesus. And, and so the faith of the Old Testament saints, even though uh, carried out in the sacrifices, was still in the one who was to come and be the perfect sacrifice. And so in the Old Testament, they're still being saved um, by faith in Christ by faith in the perfect sacrifice, and they carried that out. The demonstration of their faith was um, the spotless lamb being brought, and, and then the blood of the spotless lamb would, be, would cover the, the mercy seat of God, right? God setting above it would cover so that when God looked down, rather than seeing the law, he would see the righteous blood, this, this perfect spotless blood, and in that we would be deemed innocent. And so when, when um, we see here where Paul says in him we have redemption through his blood, I hope it takes us back so that we can see uh, that even from the Old Testament patriarchs all the way through, there's been this pointing toward, and then today in the present, this reflection back uh, to what Christ did and, and how that through the, um, I guess, the, the spilling and the shedding of his blood, that now we're covered in the blood of Christ. What that essentially uh, does for me is if I am covered in the blood of Christ, that when I'm looked upon to be judged, that the unrighteousness, that the blemishes that I have as a man uh, will not be seen because they will be covered by the spotless blood of the Lamb, uh, capital L, Jesus Christ. And so Paul writing to the Ephesians in verse 7 says, our redemption, it, it comes about through the blood of Christ. It, it is our propitiation or the, the payment in full. It's, uh, it's what um, buys us from the things of the world into the eternal life and to the abundant life. Now, uh, verse 7 continues, right? So we've been redeemed through his blood or, or have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
So again, yeah, uh, Jesse, I, I agree, man. Perfectly said. Um, so we're looking here at Paul explaining the work of Christ and the grace of God through the work of Christ, and um, and so everything from uh, you know from Genesis chapter one verse one uh, all the way through the end of Malachi are pointing to Christ. Everything. So that's right. Uh, Jesse says everything goes back to Christ and what he did on the cross. That's exactly right. So in the Old Testament, everything is pointing me to Christ and the cross. And now as uh, as present day Christians, uh, we look back and everything that should guide us and be principles for our life ought to go back to the cross uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Paul's teaching the Ephesians. Again, this is somewhere around, um, uh, somewhere close to 30 years after the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So 30 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is when he's writing this letter uh, to the church at Ephesus. So we are redeemed, we are bought, we are purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. And all these are kind of legal terms. So the propitiation, the, the payment in full, uh, all legal terms uh, of how we belong to God. But then don't forget, and, and, and Paul says that the forgiveness of our trespass, the forgiveness of our sins come about because of the riches or the richness uh, uh, of the grace of God. Again, verse 6, uh, where Spurgeon says, uh, um, the grace of God shines the light on the character of God. And now in verse 7, Paul reminds us, we're saved through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're redeemed. And our sins are forgiven through this same glorious grace of God. And so, um, so how can, we, we shouldn't be able to, to look at um, Scripture or to look at the atonement or to look at our salvation or this Holy Week to, to look at um, uh, from the triumphal entry to the triumph of, of the grave without grace being a huge, um, huge topic, being something that we can't get around and we can't escape it, and quite frankly, as Christians, that we can't get over it. Uh, that's the grace of God. It's a glorious grace. It's a beautiful grace. It's, it's uh, why, uh, why God would you save someone like me but by the grace of God, right? By the grace of, of God, uh, go therefore I. And, and so it's the grace of God exhibited in our own lives that really demonstrate the character of God. And, uh, and although God doesn't need a, an extra spotlight to demonstrate his glory, his deity, his character, and his nature, uh, grace, just uh, because we've experienced the grace of God, it allows all the other attributes of God to, to shine, as Spurgeon says, doubly bright and brilliant. And so, uh, listen, friends, never get over the grace of God. Never get over what God's done for you through Christ Jesus according to his purpose and his will. That, that's what Ephesians 1 is saying. I, I mean, it's, um, it, I just find it so hard to, um, to, to see how this is divisive in any way. Uh, it, it's very plain and very clear. Uh, chapter 4, Paul's not writing to answer doctrinal debates, um, you know, from the patristics to medieval to the Reformation to us today or denominational differences. Paul's just writing the truth about um, the work of redemption in our lives that is done in Christ Jesus 
um, that it's according to the will of God. And so, so Paul just says in verse 4, this is his, um, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And, and so now Paul's just explaining how that works, what that looks like. It's done through the grace of God, a little uh, more intimate picture of how we've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We've been chosen in Christ through the blood and the redemption, Christ through the forgiveness of sins, which all um, emanate from the grace of God. Verse 8, referring to this grace, Paul writes concerning grace, which he lavished upon us. Don't you notice this? So as believers, it's not like God just kind of gives us a, a touch of grace, just enough that we might be saved. What, what Paul says is that the grace of God that forgives us of our sins, it's been lavished upon us. It's been, been poured out a, upon us. And so it's not like, uh, boy, we barely kind of make it through. We, we, we just get enough for uh, the forgiveness of some sins. Or, no, God's lavishly poured his grace out upon us. And it's through that grace, the forgiveness of sins. It's through Christ, the redemption we face. And so uh, the grace of God's been lavished upon us. And, uh, and then it continues, this grace that's been lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, this is what it does, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. So that's kind of a, uh, a mouthful. Uh, yeah, Johnny just, uh, or Sonia, I guess, using Johnny's uh, Facebook account. Um, God's grace is experienced not only by believers, but by everyone. Yeah, Sonia, so I think, um, I, yeah, it, we would call that common grace. Um, and so if you, maybe somebody's uh, watching, listening, and you're not sure what I mean when I say uh, common grace. Uh, so in this world that we live, uh, because they are believers in the world, because uh, the Holy Spirit indwells the believers, because uh, God created all things then even unbelievers experience the grace of god through their interactions with god's creation and with god's people and so let me make sure i say that in a way that that i'm not being confusing so an unbeliever whether they know it or not gets to live um in a in a, in a way of speaking gets to experience the grace of god through the church, um, and through God's creation, even if they haven't experienced um, uh, uh, salvific grace, the grace that, that comes through illumination and through the Holy Spirit bringing us to, to an awareness of our own sinfulness. Uh, now this is, Sonia, I think this even leads a little further into the notion of what, what really is going to make hell such a torment, a tormented place, is that there will be no such thing as common grace in hell. And so, listen, there are multiple views on hell. It's a real place. I don't, so I don't think that's a valid point of view. Uh, I believe it's, it's eternal. I don't see in Scripture anywhere where hell is not an eternal place. But if you really want to get to the heart of what makes hell um, such a tormenting place to live, is that in hell there is no such thing as common grace. 
so not only are you separated from God spiritually, but you're separated from God in such a way that you don't even experience any of the goodness or the grace of God from those around you or God's creation. And so in this um, eternity separated from God, there is no experience of any type of grace whatsoever. So yes, yeah, Sonia, thank you. That's a, that's a great point. Uh, so for us who are saved, we've experienced this, um, this efficacious grace, this grace that works in our life and saves us. Um, where those who are lost, they don't experience, or non-believers don't experience that, that type of grace, uh, nor the, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. However, uh, they do experience common grace. And, and so, it, you know, as uh, depraved uh, and deprived as, as men may be, and as uh, evil as the world around us may be, uh, there is this influence on the world around us that is the common grace of God, uh, where no matter how distorted the image of God may be on creation and, um, and even within the church, it, that still there's this common grace that is exhibited to all of creation. Um, and when that's gone, uh, and when someone's separated from God for all eternity, that is going to be uh, spiritual torment on a level that no one could ever understand until they're there. And so my prayer is that no one that, that would be listening to this will ever experience um, a place uh, where they do. there is no semblance of the grace of God whatsoever. Um, yeah, thank you, Sonia. That's a great, great thought. That's that's what this Bible study is kind of uh, all about. And, and so I just encourage you to continue. Um, and I appreciate, Jesse, the, your comments. Um, and um, yeah, uh, it, it's spot on. So, uh, so we, though, as the adopted sons and daughters of God, have experienced the grace of God, not just a little. So common grace is kind of experiencing a little bit of God. Uh, but what we've experienced is those who are called by God, those who have been chosen by God, um, to be saved through Jesus Christ according to his will, we've experienced the grace that's been lavished upon us. And so, uh, which is what verse 8 says, uh, giving us insight, allowing us to kind of understand the mystery of his will. Paul talks a lot about this mystery. Uh, and I, I believe, listen, if you think back of, of your justification of, of when you were called to be saved, uh, you think back to that time, when God revealed himself to you in a new way, and, and then what you knew before your salvation, you're being saved, and what you now realize about God after, you do understand that there has been some of the mystery that's now been revealed to us. Now we understand some things that we did not understand before uh, God um, called us to himself, before we had that call of God on our life uh, to salvation. Um, and so, so Paul... Um, throughout his letters, writes about the mystery uh, of now this mystery being kind of revealed, knowing the mystery of, of God's will. Uh, and that's according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, is the way verse 9 ends. Uh, verse 9 says, As a plan for the fullness of time uh, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so we see the grace of God working through um, the life of Christ according to the will of God the Father. Uh, and we see this uh, um, kind of as um, we might say such a time as this. 
Um, and as we look at scripture and we look at kind of history, we see that things just, God uh, brought about this beautiful plan and orchestrated things in such a, a beautiful way that Christ came at such a time that the gospel could be spread to all the nations. Uh, think, think about it for a second. What do I mean by that? One, if you're going to spread uh, the gospel, if you're going to take the gospel to, to other nations, uh, then you're going to have to have some way to bridge the gap of the problem of language, how we speak. Uh, and so Christ comes um, not um, accidentally, not uh, coincidentally, but um, based on the very will of God and the purposes of God. At the time he came, uh, where a, a few um, millennia, uh, excuse me, a few hundred years before, uh, Alexander the Great has come through, and now we kind of have a common language throughout even the Roman Empire and what was the Greek Empire. And, and so now the command to go and preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, uh, can be accomplished a bit more easily because of the common language there is. And so, uh, uh, so as Paul goes throughout Asia Minor and into um, um, maybe parts of Europe, uh, then he's able to go and speak in a common language. Uh, as the disciples disperse, there is a common language, uh, that, of course, being Greek. Uh, the Romans are, are well known for uh, making and creating roads throughout the Roman Empire. And so, uh, so not only is there means to communicate through a common language, there's also means to travel to various parts of the, uh, the Roman Empire and beyond uh, and so Christ comes at such a time uh, where immediately the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the life, the death, the burial, uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is able to be taken from Jerusalem uh, throughout the empire, throughout the, the world uh, in such a means to where it can be easily communicated and where travel can be very easily done between the nations and, uh, of, the, of the empire. And so uh, in the fullness of time, um, the reason uh, this, uh, according to chapter 10, to unite all things in him, uh, things in both heaven and things on earth. Now, verse 11 begins, uh, we begin to see uh, a little further um, the evidence, the work of Christ done in us. And then we kind of end this passage with the work of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and our assurance. Uh, remember that Ephesians is kind of split into two sections overall. And in the very first half of the book, we're really looking at doctrinal issues. We're looking at the Apostle Paul writing to Ephesus and, and kind of giving them a, a quick theology or a doctrinal direction of this is what you must believe. This is what you must believe in the Christian faith. This is the Christian faith. And then in the last three chapters, what we see is uh, how that's practically lived out. And so the first three chapters, we see the doctrinal basis for Christianity. The last three chapters, we see the practical living for Christians. Um, verse 11 says, In him um, we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined, predestined, I'm sorry, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I, I think this is pretty self-explanatory and self-validating. Um, God has a plan and a purpose, and it's going to come about. 
And the plan and the purpose that he has with humanity is to call some to himself through the work and through the blood and the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, you know, Buffalo Baptists, where I serve and have served for a long time, we're Southern Baptists. Um, the Baptist faith and message, what our doctrinal statement is very clear that, that we believe in predestination and election. Now, that's a very loose term, and it's applied in very many different ways and, at very, uh, of course, various levels. And, and this isn't um, a time or a place where we're debating um, some of the cultural issues within Christianity today or that have been going on for several hundred years. I, I just want to say that, that Scripture uh, is very clear uh, that, that we have been predestined according to the the will and the purpose of the one who is working all things according to the counsel of his will. So God is bringing about what God wants to bring about. And for us, he is bringing about the, the work of justification, sanctification, ultimately glorification of those he's called him to himself according to what he wills. Um, I think that's a, yeah, Jesse, I agree. Uh, uh, that I just don't see that that is a pretty amazing thing, right? It's it, it, to sit back and to contemplate that um, that God, before he even formed the world, um, had already planned my salvation through the work of Jesus Christ is a very personal thing for me and a very intimate thing for me. It's it's not a divisive thing where we're trying to argue over, um, you, you know, um, confessions and creeds, which I don't have any problem with. I, in fact, I wish we still taught uh, confessions and creeds so that I think what a wonderful way to teach our kids uh, doctrinal um, distinctions between us and the world and what we believe as Christians um, but yeah, the, the, it, does, it does not get any better than this. Um, God has chosen to save me through Jesus Christ for his purpose and for his will. And, and so two, two practical implications of that is one, it is God who does the work through Jesus Christ. The second implication of that is uh, I have been called by God for his purpose and not my own. And so as a Christian, I've been called um, to be about the work of God and the purpose of God and the will of God, not about the purpose, will, uh, and plans of Bruce Price, but about the purpose, will, and plans of God. And um, yeah, I think that's a very easy and practical way to understand what, what Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus is, uh, boy, we have nothing to contribute to the situation uh, we can't save ourselves or anyone. And since we can't save ourselves or anyone else, we need God to save us. And if we're depending on God to save us, then uh, we belong fully to God. And now our plans um, are put aside for the plans and will of God. Um, I, I would just, I, you know, I would go on to say this, that I believe God has uh, placed within those he's called for his purpose uh, a desire and a passion for that which he calls us to do. And, and so as we carry out the plan and the purpose of God in our life, 
Uh, it's not this picture of, man, what if God asked me to do something um, that I'm going to hate doing? Now, listen, God will call you to do things that you didn't think you wanted to do. God will call you to do things that you didn't think you cared about or were passionate about. Uh, God will call you to make sacrifices uh, in your life to, to carry out the purpose of his will in your life. But what I, I found personally true in my life is that even though I didn't know or didn't think uh, that this was my plan or something I would want to do or even that I would be passionate about, I've come to find out that every time that I've um, submitted my will to God's will, um, sub, you know, uh, subverted my plans to God's plans, um, that when I'm in God's will and carrying out God's purpose, it, that's when I'm most satisfied. Um, that's when I, I really find um, this fullness that's found only in right relationship with God is not when I'm doing my thing, but when I'm doing God's thing. Why? Because I was created and chosen for that very call and purpose in my life. And so when I'm living in such a manner as to be most concerned about what God's plan and God's will is, um, that's when I really find um, the most satisfaction in this world um, and as I yearn for the, the world to come. So, uh, yeah, just, just a thought there. So in him we've attained an inheritance, having been predestined according uh, to his purpose, of him who works all things according to the counsel's will, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be uh, to the praise of his glory. So, um, so Paul's talking about uh, the very generation after the crucifixion. Um, and so those who were the first to accept Christ, those were who were the first to receive him as Lord and Savior, to, to be saved by him, however you want to, to phrase that. The, those who first uh, recognized uh, Christ as Lord, um, it, it was all uh, to the praise of his glory. Now this goes back to what we've already talked about before. The, the glory and the grace of God is something... Um, that should astound us and should is constantly deserving of our praise. Um, yeah, verse 13 says, in him you also, now, now listen, this, this is kind of, um, yeah, I knew that was Sonia when I read it. Yeah, God's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him, which John Piper um, uh, uses a lot, and I think it's a wonderful statement. I think it's truth, and, and I think it's what we find here. Yeah, it's probably a more concise way to say what took me five minutes to say. Um, that we really do find um, satisfaction in this life when this life is spent glorifying God um, and recognizing his glorious grace that's been exhibited and demonstrated in our life. 13 kind of gives us the, uh, the process in a sense uh, that in him, that in Christ, Christ is the the reason and the resource behind our salvation. But in Christ, this is what happened, when you heard uh, the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, this, boy, this is comforting for me uh, because it would be great if what we were told is that it is God who saves you, uh, but then it's up to you to keep keep yourself saved um, well that would be futile that would that would be impossible for us to do 
if we're not good enough to save ourselves, how in the world are we good enough to keep ourselves saved? And, uh, and so what, what the Apostle Paul writes, maybe even in advance of the question or notion or thought that would arise from, well, if God's chosen me and God saved me and, and it's through Christ that I'm saved, uh, then what about the work that takes place after salvation? What about from my point of salvation on? Um, and so whether the, the Ephesians had this question or not, I think it's an appropriate question uh, today. And so this, this is what Paul says. Paul says, you heard the, the gospel, the truth of your salvation, and you believed, and this is the work of Christ. Remember that verse 12, I mean, verse 13 starts with, in him, in Christ, this is what happened. And so the reason that you heard the truth of salvation and believed was because you were in Christ. It was, it was uh, the work of Christ. It was Christ who had allowed you. And, and, and then what happened when you believed is that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You'll remember that, that Jesus talked a lot, even in his parables and in the book of Acts at the Ascension, uh, you know, that, that he had to go so that he could send someone uh, that would even do greater works. And so, uh, not one who was greater. Remember, we're talking about the Trinity, uh, all one essence, three persons, um, and not not one necessarily greater than the other. And, and so, when when Christ talks about one who could do greater things, he's not saying that the Holy Spirit is greater than the Son. But but what he's saying is that um, when in Philippians two it explains. Um, the kenosis process, the emptying process that Christ went through, that Christ emptied himself and made himself of no reputation, not counting equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, even taking on the form of a man and then uh, eventually even um, suffering death on a cross. Um, th that in that, now, the work of Christ um, was somewhat limited in that Christ in physical body and in, in fleshly body um, was limited to being in one place at one time um, where the Holy Spirit is unlimited in that that aspect and so the Holy Spirit indwells all believers the the universal body of believers and so the work that was seen done through Christ and and the the 12 and then the group of disciples grows a little larger now is on a global scale where the Holy Spirit is at work within and sealed uh, all of those who are part of the body of Christ. And so, boy, what a, what a force we should be in the world today um, as the body of Christ universally all being indwelt and sealed by the very Holy Spirit of God. Um, yeah, so verse 14 is, is why you can kind of lay your um, head down on your pillow at night and be satisfied um, when you are walking right with God, um, because it's it's not an effort to uh, to keep attain certain position with God. Your position with God um, has been determined based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And evidence of that, God has now provided the Holy Spirit as a sign and as a seal and as a guarantee that what Christ did um, was sufficient. And so when you stand before God, if you stand before God in Christ Jesus as one who belongs to him, and then you know that, that you're going to stand before him accepted 
Now, how do I know that? Because I've been given the guarantee of the Holy Spirit of God. And so because now um, when I'm, I'm with the moment I believe and I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, this is my guarantee. Uh, so, th so this is my uh, signed, sealed, stamped, delivered, guarantee uh, by God that the work that Christ did is sufficient not only to save me, um, but um, not only for my justification, not only for the process of sanctification, but as well as my glorification when, when one day uh, I will be with him eternally. And uh, so what a, uh, what a comforting passage of Scripture. So uh, we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And so because of my relationship uh, with Christ, um, I've received the seal and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, who is the promise of God to me, to you as believers. So the very Holy Spirit is the promise to us uh, that what Christ has done in us and the inheritance that Christ has for us or that God has for us in Christ, that we will acquire that possession because we've been guaranteed that possession through the Holy Spirit of God. And we will be able to take possession of it. And then the close, once again, uh, I think encapsulate what this entire passage is about. And in close, um, it, it says this, um, that basically all of this is to the praise of his glory. And so Paul, Paul essentially say into the Ephesians, all that I've just written um, all that I've just laid out for you, uh, all that, that covers the work of God through Christ in us that God had predestined even before the foundation of the world, all that work has, has been guaranteed to us through uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God until the day we take possession of that which Christ has acquired for us or that we have acquired through Christ. And all of that should bring us to the same point uh, that understanding the grace of God or recognizing the grace of God does. And that is that ultimately it ought to bring us, um, bring us to praise. Amen. Uh, well, I pray that this has been encouraging to you. I'm going to take the next few minutes and just kind of hang out for a minute to see if you have any, any questions or comments. Um, and, uh, and then we'll close out our study and we'll pick up um, our study of Ephesians next week. Again, let me just remind you, I, I'm not looking at the camera because I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to look at your comments as well as, uh, as the scripture. And, uh, and so I appreciate you guys that were able to tune in. And, uh, and I hope it's been edifying, right? That's the purpose, uh, that, that God's glorified, that we're edified. Um, and I pray that, uh, that through the Holy Spirit, we've had, um, uh, more understanding now of, of who God is and how God works and that we would we would really emphasize and focus and uh, and put our attention on the very grace of God and how glorious it is um, and to the glory of God because of the work he's done in our lives yeah man I tell you I just I really love the book of Ephesians I enjoy it um, um, I, I don't see any division there just don't see it as a divisive um, book I, I've had um, you know friends uh, who want to argue over 
over the book of Ephesians. I just don't see anything that's divisive about it. Uh, I, I just don't think it's divisive when God declares, you know, even before the foundation of the world, that I chose you in Christ uh, to be heirs, to be adopted sons and daughters. That's, I think that's a beautiful picture that God paints for us, um, that we are so personal to God, uh, that he loves us so much. Uh, that he sent Christ individually for each of us. And that's just, that's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the love and the grace of God toward us. Yeah, well, you know, if the if the study has been uh, been beneficial, then by all means, um, if you know someone who needs to be encouraged or has questions about maybe some of these uh, topics, comments, send them, uh, send them to the, to the page uh, you can share it if you like but um, get it uh, in front of them so that they can um, you know just hear kind of a reading of, of Ephesians chapter 1 up to this point uh, next week we'll start with verse 15 and uh, and uh, try to carry that out yeah Jesse I like that at the end of the day we're we're to be soul winners yeah um, I think you're absolutely right I was talking to uh, to my oldest son this past week and I just I told him that um kind of early in in my my faith journey or my calling that too many times I felt like I needed to win arguments with people uh, when what we've been called to do is to win souls I, I think that's absolutely right Jesse and so uh, so knowledge and understanding and as God uh, reveals things to us we're not to use those things to win arguments um, and I don't know if you've ever caught yourself doing this like um whether it's someone from another faith, uh, uh, you know, you've studied up and prepared so that when uh, when someone from Jehovah Witness uh, faith comes and knocks on your door, that you're ready to uh, debate them and to win the argument. At the end of the day, um, you know, that, that may be one of the most uh, unbiblical ways to use Scripture is to win arguments uh, because we've been called to share the gospel, the good news, uh, of the grace of God um, so that people might come to salvation um, and not um, not that we want an argument with someone. We, we got in more points, um, and uh, it's not a debate. It's, it's meant to, to be shared in love so that the grace of God might be experienced by others, and they might come to know him as, as Lord and Savior. Um, we can't save them. It's the, the gospel that has the power to save, but man, that has to be done in love. And so, uh, so I really like that, Jess. That, that's, I think you're, you're right on spot on the end of the day. We've been called to win souls. Um, Danny, the blood of, uh, is our salvation. The Holy Spirit is our inheritance. Until we met. Good. That's perfect, man. I think that's, uh, uh, yeah, you said in, in one line what took me an hour to go through. Um, I, I think you're right on. I think that's right. Um, that's um, a great observation. So again, do do want to uh, just remind everyone, Danny. Thank you for sharing earlier. Remember um, the Tessnier family as uh, they lost lost Donna this past week, and so pray for their peace and their comfort, as well as um, for all those who were sick in body. Uh, I tell you, just allergies have gotten a hold of me. And uh, if you're allergic to things and have allergies, what man, it's just been a, an awful time. 
um, other people. You know, this coronavirus I shared this morning, it hasn't stopped all the other tragedies that, that we see day to day uh, before the, this pandemic came our way. Uh, people are still battling cancer. Uh, people are still lost that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, so so all the all the struggles that um, we had and that we saw and that we uh, we were uh, hopefully helping other people with, they continue uh, even through the midst of this corona uh, coronavirus. And so, just continue to uh, to lift up our doctors, our nurses, paramedics, first responders, fire departments, uh, police officers as they respond to to these needs, but just remember that, um, man, the world um, still is dealing with uh, with the, the effects of sin and the fallen nature, and so we need to continue to be praying uh, daily uh, for those things. All right, well, I'm going to pray, and um, definitely, you, you always feel free, you can direct uh, message me through messenger if you would like if you um, if you have a comment or, or a question or maybe you want me to clarify something I'm, I may have said that maybe I uh, wasn't clear I'll be glad to do that so mailbox is always open to you uh, shoot me a message and I will do my best to get back to you just as soon as possible um, but uh, I pray that you have a blessed week I thank you for taking the time to be involved in a, in a bible study like this that's uh that can be somewhat impersonal, but I thank you for your, your comments and your reflections. And so I'm going to pray, and then uh, I, I pray you have a blessed week. And um, listen, um, if you are a church member, whether it's here or someone else, uh, just remember that, that the gospel ministry is continuing. Um, your church needs your, your support um, uh, financially as well as in every other, other way possible. And so wherever you're a church member, I ask, just continue to remember that, that the church needs uh, the, the financial support, even in times when we might not be able to meet personally. We're tr still trying to do everything we can um, to, to um, further the, you know, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so wherever you call home, uh, I pray that you would continue to support your church. I tell you what, let's pray, and I uh, pray you have a great week. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to take some time out of our day to open your word. Uh, Lord, uh, your word truly is a word of life. Uh, I pray that uh, as uh, others may watch this, this Bible study and those who have uh, been through um, today with me uh, during this look at Ephesians, uh, that you've spoken to our hearts and our minds. I pray that you've, you've brought understanding and unity uh, what a beautiful passage of scripture this is that just demonstrates how deep your love is for us, how glorious your grace is and is demonstrated to us, how we have been saved and called in and through Christ Jesus and uh, Lord, according to your will uh, and your purposes for our life. And we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit as our guarantee. Uh, I pray that Lord, you would be with our doctors, nurses, uh, paramedics, uh, Lord, um, police officers, fire department personnel, those who are daily encountering this coronavirus, and yet they, they run toward it to help others. Keep them safe, Lord. Provide them um, help uh, through the midst of this time. Lord, this next week, as most doctors believe, this is going to be a bad week. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, we would be ultimately surprised 
at the end of this week um, and know that, um, Lord, you've poured your grace out upon us. Um, so we do pray uh, that you just be with our nation and, uh, Lord, all the countries as they deal with this pandemic in their own ways. Um, Lord, we pray that um, for the test near family. Comfort their hearts and their minds during this time of loss. Uh, Lord, just give them the peace uh, that passes understanding that can only come from you. And may they know that you're with them in this time. Uh, comfort them, uh, dear God. And once again, I just pray that uh, you would uh, bless all during this upcoming week. Uh, keep us safe. And Lord, we look forward to, uh, to this week of Holy Week and to this coming Sunday. Uh, when we celebrate the fact that you walked physically, bodily resurrected out of the tomb. So, Lord, may that always excite us. Uh, and, Lord, may we always give you glory, honor, and praise. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.